out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are, in theory. Anyway, thank you, Jim. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As always, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of the wee cherubs, because I spoke to one of the founder members, Martin Cotter, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all the other groovy stuff that happens when you're in an indie pop band in the 80s. And uh, just for the record, nothing so drastic here, but they have now got a compilation that has just come out on Optic Nerve Records, based in Preston, uh, titled The Merry Makers LP, a collection of lost recordings made in Glasgow between 1982 to 1985, restored, remastered, with some very groovy sleeve notes. Anyway, after a bit of casual chat with Martin, we got down to that very exciting business of the interview, where, um, yes, we were talking about little record labels putting out compilations, and how fortunate it is that Optic Nerve have tracked them down and done it. Anyway, Martin, it's over to you. I think it is, and you know, I, my, my, my heart goes out to these guys. I think they obviously have a deep love for the music, for the time, for the genre, for, you know, for, the, for the whole scene. And it's just so, I mean, I was just so amazed and flattered when, when Ian from Optic Nerve got in touch with me and he, he said, you know, I, I'd be really interested in re-releasing Dreaming. I mean, I, I didn't even have a copy a copy of the single anymore. I'd sent my last one to a guy in the States. Right. Years back, uh, he'd also wanted to re-release it. Um, he never did, as far as I know. He certainly never sent the single back. <laughs> but I, I'm just delighted that, uh, that you know, that, that that music is, is, is so well regarded. And when he approached me about the single, I said, well, you know, I've got a copy of some other demos up in the loft if you want to have a listen. Just, you know, because he was interested in the chairs, I thought he might like to hear them. So he had a listen, then he came back and he suggested doing the album. So, so the album's really a collection of, well, it's got the Dreaming single, but the East Side and the B Side, but it's got the other studio tracks that the Cherubs did. And we, we recorded, I think it was three separate sessions right. in the studio in Glasgow. And, you know, listening to the material back now that it's been remastered and polished up, but it sounds, it sounds great. I'm really glad the album's going to come out because the songs are, you know, they're interesting, they're varied, they're musically strong, and they're quite inventive. And, and you can hear, you can really hear that the Cherubs, we were away with, we were away in a world of our own. We really didn't sound, you know, much like our contemporaries at all. We were just quietly heading off in our own sonic direction. Mm-hmm. And the, the, yes. there's, a, there's, a, there's a secret track on it as well. There's a quiet little song that we never actually played it. It was, it was written around that time, but we split before we had a chance to rehearse it. So, it's just a, a kind of one-man demo of that, and it's it's hidden away. It's, it's worth searching for, but but don't tell anyone. No. <laughs> well, it's amazing. I mean, because, I mean, I've been doing this show now for three-plus years, and so I sort of thought, you know, there's... And that was the decade that I suppose I really sort of got into, you know, I suppose I was of a certain age, you know, like in my late teens and was obsessed with John Peel and became, you know, obsessed with just, you know, the music period. And you can only have that that kind of obsession really for, for sort of a period of your life before 
other commitments come in. So I thought I'd sort of heard most of it. But then doing the show, it's like, my God, there's been just so much music in the 80s that it just is kind of an endless kind of, you know, barrel really of, of kind of songs that have been out there and people have done them and then sort of moved on. And then luckily these late labels have come around and have said, oh, we'll do a compilation and do some good sleeve notes. We love sleeve notes, don't we? Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, if, if I could remember more about the period in question, I'd be able to write some good sleep notes. But it, it was a while ago, and, uh, you know, it was a wee bit rock and roll at the time as well. Um, so some some parts of the that period are, uh, elude me for some reason. Yes. But, uh, but that, that's what happens. But, that's what uh, happens. Yeah, and some of the bands that have been, um, I believe some of the bands that have been, uh, you know, resurrected a little bit, they're now starting to do new music as well, which is which is even better, which is, you just get to hear... Because you know the, the early musical stuff is is great and it's it grabs you because of the time period and it's got that wonderful kind of lo-fi sound, but it's formative. Um, and now some of these bands are more mature and musically that is as well as uh, humanly. And so the music that's coming out now is is interesting in relation to the, to the early stuff too. Yes, absolutely. So look, I'm without giving much away, too much, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm I was born in the mid '60s, so I'm in my mid '50s now, and um, you know, sort of grew up during the that sort of period, you know, of glam, I suppose. Early, you know, watching Top of the Pops and the Sweet, and you know, all that kind of. I was, I'm trying not to say Gary Glitter, but there was Gary, Gary Glitter <laughs> and Slade, and and uh, obviously Alice Cooper with Schools Out, and then luckily you know Bowie came along and saved me from. You know, my first single was Bowie, so that was a, that was a huge relief. So, what was your sort of you know early musical years, and and sort of how did that develop? Well, I'm slightly older than yourself, but I mean, I I grew up with uh, my earliest musical memory is I want to hold your hand. I remember thinking that. Well, I remember loving that song. I don't remember exactly what I thought. I just remember loving the song, not really knowing what it meant, but it's just the joyfulness in, in the music, uh, and so. Yeah, I kind of followed the same kind of path. Uh, a couple of years ahead of you, I went. Uh, I, I loved the Beatles. I adored the Beatles. I still do. Um, but uh, you know, just all the kind of innovative, mainly rocky, but musically interesting. I've always, I've always been uh, one for listening out for an unusual kind of chord sequence or an unusual hook in a song, which the Beatles had in spades, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I followed along the same path, and I think. For the Cherubs, you know, our influences, <coughs> excuse me, our influences really, they, they were our contemporaries, you know, like on Juice and Joseph Key and you know, Aztec Camera. But I would say predominantly it was bands like The Beatles, The Zombies, early Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett definitely, uh, Kevin Ayers, uh, as much as it was the, the contemporary group. Yes. We saw sprouting up round about us. Yeah, so there was, um, I mean... It's probably quite a naff thing to say, but were you, because I'm false anyway, but you know, there was there was obviously a huge amount of Scottish bands coming out as well, you know, like we, I remember seeing Alex Harvey, then the Skids, as, and, and those kind of bands. Was, was that kind of scene sort of, you know, and the incredible string band from the late 60s, we loved them. So were you, were they, were you at all influenced by that, that kind of scene, or were you thinking, oh no, I'm, I'd rather sort of listen to music elsewhere for some, sometimes that happens, doesn't it? You'll find it hard to find uh, a Scotsman who's interested in music who doesn't uh, revere Alex Harvey. I was so into Alex Harvey. One of the 
earliest concerts I went to was Alex Harvey at the famous Apollo in Glasgow. And it was just a riot. You know, the crowd was barely under control. It was just crazy. So, yeah, no, I, I was tuned into that at the time, definitely. Very much so. Yes. And then, you know, because I know it's a kind of a simplistic thing, but, you know, like you... I mean, bizarrely, I had a brother who was older than me, seven years, and he was very into the punk. Uh, punk. He was definitely not. He was into prog, and he loved Wishbone Ash and Yes and Genesis and all that kind of malarkey. Didn't like punk at all. Um, so, and then you know, you had that phase of punk, then post-punk, and then indie sort of was coming along, kind of about eighty-two, eighty-three. So, when you were starting to sort of form bands, were you, you know, I mean, I just wondered what the kind of catalyst and the moment was when when you said, let's let's try and sort of get something together and and see if we can do this ourselves now um, we had a mainly it started off with uh, friends school friends uh, very friendly with a guy called Paul Quinn who I went through school with and we formed our first band together they were just little bedroom groups but we went on eventually to form a band called Radio Ghosts and they gigged quite extensively around Scotland and released a single and an EP and actually reformed and released a CD now as well. But um, uh, yeah, it's just getting together with friends really to start it off. And um, uh, the, the, the musical influences were uh, very... You mentioned some of the prog scene. I mean, I remember my brother brought home a bunch of albums from one of his mates uh, and it had oh, some Adam Hartmother. It had he had um, <clears throat> a King Crimson album. I can't remember the name of it. Oh yes. Uh, and ten years after, and yeah, I, I was very young, uh, and I heard these weird and wonderful sounds for the first time, uh, and absorbed them and loved them at the time. And when you were when the punk scene came along, I mean, you couldn't admit to liking any of those bands. You had to you had to be somebody different for a while. <clears throat> but if you listen to the Cherub stuff and quite a few other bands from that period as well, you'll hear a lot of deep reverb, a lot of um, tape echo, uh, a lot of the kind of sounds that were pioneered back by Pink Floyd and other bands in the prog rock time. So these these uh, kind of uh, musical facets just kind of resonate through time, I think. And they're kind of circular. They come back into fashion time and time again. Yes. Because actually, because quite a few of the bands you mentioned are part of that Canterbury scene, isn't it? Which, you know, people like Robert Wyatt and Soft Machine. So were you kind of drawn to those kind of artists and people like Martin Newell? I just wondered if you if they were sort of people that you found kind of more fascinating than, say, the Sex Pistols. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I was always interested in more left field music um, and... Soft Machine I was aware of at the time, but I did find them a bit impenetrable. Uh, I thought, you know, of course, obviously they're, they're kind of genius musicians, but um, I didn't know if, if the music was, was really for me. Uh, but yeah, I did. Uh, I was always interested in the left field side of things. And one of my secret delights was a band called Slap Happy. I don't know if you're aware of them. Kind of, um, no. No, well, <laughs> worth checking out. Um, they were kind of... Uh, intellectual, <clears throat> excuse me, dilettantes who would, um, uh, you know, the, the lyrics were fascinating and very deep, and the music was oh, e extremely kind of inventive. And again, 
the delight for me was that it had all these kind of left field mental melodies and unusual chord structures and there was a fascination in the kind of uh, obscure and occult kind of lyrical uh, strands that they had as well and you'd spend as much time trying to decipher what they were actually talking about in their songs lyrically as trying to work out the chord sequences you know they were uh, yeah always drawn to the left field kind of stuff yes I know. There was a lot of it as well, wasn't there? Intellectual dilettantes. I like that. So when did you when did you sort of meet up with um Christine and Graham to sort of sort of form the cherubs? Uh it was in the early eighties, it would have been nineteen eighty or eighty one. Christine was my partner at the time. Um and I'd been in a band called Video Ghost, as I said. Uh, and the ghosts had gigged extensively around Scotland. Uh, and they were quite an intense and uncompromising guitar-based angular pop band. And, and after after we split up, I was looking for something gentler and a bit more reflective and maybe a bit more experimental. So Christine was my partner, and she had been in a band called Rapid Dance, and she played guitar. So I persuaded her to take up the bass, and she became very good at it very quickly. And Graham was all just a good friend of ours who was hanging around at the time playing drums and punk bands and uh, we were just really good friends and he, he agreed to, to join up with us and we just basically started rehearsing and I was quite prolific at that time in terms of the amount of songs that were coming out and uh, we just we just uh, kept at it and we were really I think the, the Cherubs were an extremely unprepossessing band uh, and I think this was a reaction to to the intensity of the previous band, you know, the, the radio ghosts, the cherubs were just were so naive, sweet, reticent kind of <laughs> waifs. Yes. And we were hopeless at self-promotion. We just couldn't push ourselves forward at all. We just oh, shied away from it. I think we even had a song at the time called Let's Be Reluctant. It <laughs> <laughs> kind of summed us up. And so at that time, you know, we got together before and we thought, you know, we picked up one or two... Um, Support slot gigs in, in kind of Glasgow pubs, and we thought, well, some people quite like us, you know, this is this is quite good. And we did. It was perplexing, to be honest, for us at that time because we saw other bands appearing in the scene, uh, and they seemed to be, you know, they seemed to have personas of being kind of, I don't know, shambolic underachievers because that that epitomised the cherubs without us actually trying to be like that. It was it was really just the people we were at that time. And I think the name of the band, the Wee Cherubs, the Notorious Wee Cherub, I think that reflects that. It was actually my nickname for Christine, who was my partner at the time. Yes, because it's interesting, because I, I guess you're sort of, you know, quite a few years later, you had Sarah, Sarah Records that came along, and they they definitely created a, a sort of a sound that, well, you know, the label had an ethos, didn't it? You know, a Sarah Records mm. label. And I suppose, you know, or vibe, you... You would have definitely sort of probably fitted in very nicely and been been part of that stable of of kind of other bands and artists like that. And I remember, um, yeah, people like Galaxy Five Hundred. So you were probably at the time there probably wasn't anything quite like you around because you had that. You just had the world that was, you know, I suppose post punk with you know the Gang of Four and Peel and Magazine. Then you started, and then you had that. The world that was kind of Echo and the Bunny Men, and then slowly, you know, like Orange Juice and the Smiths, and and you know, and and all the 
Yeah, I mean, Simple Mind You too. So there was suddenly, you know, that was kind of the alternative scene. And then obviously you had the mainstream stuff as well, which we, that Trevor Horn production sound. So you probably did sort of, sort of not have such a sort of a scene to be part of, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we basically did our own thing. We were happy. The chairs were happy in their own in their own little world. You know, we were just um, we we could be viewed as part of the Glasgow indie scene. Certainly, we never really ventured outside of Scotland. That's for sure. But um, we were part of the indie scene really because of the way that we we looked and behaved. But you know, musically, I I don't think that we fitted in completely. Um, and although although we put out the single. It was with another band's label. It was pretty much a, you know, a DIY affair. But yes. that, completely, that completely suited us because I don't... Looking back now, um, although you go for it at the time, we were kind of... I don't think we ever believed that we wanted to be famous. I think if we'd been signed by Postcard or Sarah, I think we'd have been terrified. It would have, you know, it would have turned what was something like a, you know, a wonderful, quiet hobby into something a bit too serious. Yeah. Although maybe that's me in hindsight making excuses for not being signed by anyone. But, but it's interesting. I think we were, sorry, carry on. No, no. I was just saying that was interesting because a couple of years ago, Cherry Red Records brought out that uh, compilation, um, Big Gold Dreams, the story of Scottish independent music from 77 to 89. Um, and you feature on that. So you must have felt that was kind of probably last year or 18 months ago. That must have been quite nice to sort of suddenly get a lot more airplay and, and sort of people becoming aware of you on their radar who who didn't know you the first time. Yeah, was, was it the Cherubs that were on it or was it the Bachelor Pad? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, because cause I had a look actually, I have to say, on uh, Spotify and, and it comes up and it says, um, yes, and, and there's one track called Dreaming, which is, you know, obviously the famous song. And yeah. it says, appears on Big Gold Dreams and that, that particular compilation that um, came out. So... And I was thinking, you know, and Cherry Red, you know, for, um, yes, what, yes, you definitely are on it, by the way, um, <laughs> along with the pastels and, and every momus and, um, and Jasmine Minx. Uh, so, yeah, so I could imagine that would have given people a little bit more sort of idea of your, the name and, and sort of becoming a bit more aware of you, because I would imagine it must have sold quite a few copies and, um, yeah, you know, so um, it's it, it was quite good timing in the sense of, you know, this compilation coming out. And talking of, of the track, which obviously everyone's going to ask you, can you remember how that came together, Dreaming? Dreaming? Um, well, I don't really... It wasn't uh, it wasn't something that came about through a real-life situation. It was it was just a, an idea I had of uh, somebody who was looking back on something they'd let slip through their hands and, you know, being you know, extremely regretful about it. Uh, and that was the idea for the song. And when we started rehearsing it, I do remember we kind of looking at each other going, oh, you know, <laughs> this one actually sounds quite good. We'd lots of songs that we'd play and you'd persevere for a while and then eventually you'd say, oh, let's just put that one to one side. That's not going to work. But this one right from the start, we thought, oh, yeah, this is this has got something about it. And I mean, I listen back to it now, you know, I, I think it's great. It's, it's a, it's a, I'm quite proud of it. It's a good punchy pop song. The band sounds great in it. The song, although it's not describing exactly a, a happy topic, it's got a, a really positive vibe about it and the whole thing's up and uh, 
Yeah, so I think it's just one that came up at rehearsals. I had a wee guitar idea, took it along, um, and we just fleshed it out and thought, "Oi, we've got a song." Yes, that's amazing. And it was on. Um, I mean, you recorded it at the uh, Glasgow's famous Park Lane Studios. Park Lane, yeah. So that was that was something. But the label, I've never come across this label at all. Um, Bogatin Records. Bogatin. Yes, who are they? Bogatin. Uh, well, it was a band called. Yeah, I might be getting slightly mixed up here, but I think I'm right. Apes and Control, who Graham actually drummed for at the same time, and they were a kind of experimental group, <laughs> and that was their record label. And uh, they, I mean, when I say record label, they, they self-financed records and they called the label Bogatain. I don't think there were any other bands apart from ourselves and them on them. And uh, Bogatain is, uh, I would have to Google it now to be sure, but I think it's the name of a, uh, the octopus in a Jules Verne story or something like that. Right. So that, that, that's how that came about. Yes. And did you, and, and was the recording experience from memory, was that, did that all go as well as you'd hoped? Oh, it, it was the, the, the culmination. I mean, we played a lot of gigs, and the gigs, well, we played gigs, didn't we? Huge amount of gigs, and the gigs were great fun. Um, but we never had a really devoted following, didn't we? We attract a big crowd, and I'm sure, pretty sure the name of the band itself put a lot of people off. Um, but the recording experience was, you get so immersed in it, um, you pay good money for it, so you're going to use all the tools that are there. Uh, and this was at the time when samplers and harmonizers and Roland Space Echoes were about. And it was before anything digital, so it was all done on tape. Uh, and, oh, we just had such a fantastic time in the studio. Well, <laughs> certainly I did. Yes. Um, uh, I just loved playing with all these toys. And you can hear, I, now when I listen to it, I hear some stuff, I think, you could have done with a bit less here and there, but at the time you just think everything sounds so shiny and wonderful and you just thought, oh, this is going to make us sound so great. So you really just go for it. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we would book a block of three or four days, I think, in the studio, usually over the weekend and maybe a Monday or a Friday as well, uh, go and put down the, the kind of guide tracks and then just layer everything on top of it. It was a wonderful time. I remember I also had, at that time, I had a steer guitar that I'd string up um, in unison. Uh, usually guitars are strung uh, in a certain tuning, but uh, this guitar I had strung with um, strings that were all on either the root note or the fifth note, and it had a kind of sitar-like sound. And uh, that's that's you can't really pick it out unless you know it's there, but it's chiming away in the background of a lot of the songs, and I think it adds a little bit of texture quite invisibly to some of the stuff that we did. So, yeah... I loved experimental left field bands myself, so I did try and, and go a little bit out in a limb at times. Yeah, and your record label and the sleeves are quite—they um, have a certain, I wouldn't say prog quality, but there is something quite different to what was kind of being kind of done at the time. I mean, whose idea? I mean, they're kind of beautiful, but I just wondered whose idea because they were quite different to. The, uh, what everyone else was doing, basically. For dreaming? Of, of just, well, this, this um, the compilation that you've got coming out, and also, yeah, dreaming. Oh, ah, yeah. Well, dreaming, the cover for dreaming was done by the famous and 
quite wonderful Tommy Cherry, who I was in the bachelor pad with. Oh. He designed he designed the cover for that. He was a, a print setter. I think that's a technical name for what they used to do manually in those days. And uh, he came up with the, the graphic for it, and uh, we loved it. And we just thought, that's, couldn't sum it up better. That's just so wonderful. For the the album, um, I I had um, spotted on the interwebs uh, an artist called Carrie Pierce, US artist, and her work is just is astounding. And one of the, one of the pictures in particular, which was called the Merrymakers, um, I was really really taken by it, and I thought I was working in the artwork for the, the album at the time, and I thought. I've, I would so love to feature that, but you know, I thought, what chance is there? Mm. Anyway, I tried. I contacted her, and she said, "Okay, uh, if you send me a signed copy of the album in vinyl when it comes out, you can get a one-time only use of the the, the painting." So that's what's on the front cover, and uh, yeah, and the back cover is just. Well, won't give too much away. You mainly just got the track listing and stuff, but there's some interesting. There's a lyric sheet inside as well, and then some interesting images. And yes. the CD, when it comes out, has got uh, a lyric booklet as well, and it's uh, got a few pithy notes on it here and there. Yes, so that was Dreaming, but then obviously this compilation has more than just one single. So when and how did the other records sort of come together? Well, they were recordings, they were demos that we did, to the same, uh, in the same place, in Parkland Studios, and to the same standards, but as being uh, disorganised and not being very pushy and not promoting ourselves. We never got it together to release any of the singles, so we just went in and recorded them just for the sake of recording them. Uh, it's just something that was great fun to do. Yes. So, so they, weren't, they weren't actually recordings that were ever released on vinyl anywhere. No. And did you, I guess this is an obvious question, I'll answer, did you keep the master copies of these recordings? I wish I had. No, um, when... Uh, Ian contacted me and I told him that we had the I had a copy of some of the demos. Uh, it it was a CD of a cassette copy of the recordings. We didn't have the master tape. We didn't even have uh, the master recordings. Uh, we had cassette copies that were direct at the time, but I think this was a second generation copy. So no, we could have we could have kept uh, the big wheel to wheel master, but uh, that would have been. Very expensive, so the, the studio would just reuse that. So someone else's <laughs> songs would yes. be put on top of ours. But uh, uh, Ian, when he took the the demo, he, he, you know, we realised that the quality needed a bit of uh, beefing up. So he took it away and got it remastered, um, and he's done a fantastic job. I mean, it's really brought it back to life, and it, it's, it sounds really dynamic and uh, quite quite fresh. Yes. Considering it as a, a, a copy of a copy, I think the quality is pretty astonishing. So has it been nearly 30-odd years since you heard some of these songs? Uh, no. Um, I did have this, this CD, and I would play it occasionally, but, you know, I was, although I was aware of that people were very interested in, in dreaming and that the single was, was um, something that was uh, sought after, I... I'd, I would bring out the CD every now and again and uh, closet myself away in a room somewhere so nobody else could hear me and relive my past a little. Yes. Yeah. So you know, I, I, I was, it had been a few years certainly since I'd listened to it and uh, I was very, very pleased when you said that 
yeah, he thought he deserved to come out. Um, I, I'm talking of, of, of dreaming the single. I remember uh, after the sheriffs had split up, I still had three or four boxes of the dreaming singles that I hadn't sold. And, uh, you know, I was lugging them around with me and moving from flat to flat in Glasgow. And these boxes, I just thought, why why am I holding on to these? What? Because they, I wasn't selling them to anybody. I was just carrying them around from one flat to another. So one day before I moved to quite a small flat in Glasgow, I thought, ah, that's enough. So the day we moved, I left them on the edge of a skip with a note saying free records. So that would have been about a hundred copies of Dreaming that I just yes. left in a skip in Glasgow. And uh, these days, if you can find a copy of Dreaming, you'll pay hundreds of pounds to get it. So, yeah, I look back and that with some mixed feelings. I wish, oh. <laughs> I wish I'd held on to them a bit like Yes, I know. God. Yes, it's it's easy to be wise after the event, but you, you know, you're thinking, because I, you know, so I remember sort of, you know, in that period of renting where you're sort of having to move a lot and I had boxes of like the enemy and eventually it was like, oh, I'm not going to do this for the third time. They're just going yeah. to skip. But, you know, you just, luckily I went quickly through and picked a few that I kept, but, you know, there's only so much, but yeah, I know it must be quite tricky. And did you, I mean, having, you know, this project and bringing it together, does it mean, I wasn't sure. Did you keep in touch with um, the other members? And and if you didn't, has this kind of brought you sort of like together for a bit of a, God, guess what we're going to do? We're going to bring out a compilation. <laughs> well, uh, sadly, the answer is no and no to that. Uh, we have kind of lost touch. Um, Christine still lives in Glasgow. Graham still lives in Glasgow. I'm over on the other side of the country now. Um, we've just gone in different directions and... Uh, lived separate lives since then, uh, and uh, they, they both know they both know that the album's coming out, but we haven't got together. It's just it, it is what it is. Yes, I just wondered if you know people because I know with a few bands, you know, the idea of reforming is is completely out of the question. But the idea of just kind of getting in touch again and possibly even if if possible meeting, you know, is kind of on the cards, but it might not happen. They'll probably use Zoom now, won't they, instead? But, you know, sometimes it makes people... <laughs> after decades of um, just things going, it's like, oh, look, here's a copy of the CD. I just wondered if um, they'd been in touch and said, yes, my God, that is a bit strange. Yeah, well, um, been in touch to a certain extent, uh, but but I don't think I don't think there's going to be a grand share of reunion, unfortunately. It doesn't seem to be on the cards at the moment. Certainly, it couldn't happen anyway if the current dispositions that the country is under but uh, I think uh, I think the, the the rest of the band would just prefer to keep things as they are just now so it's part of their past now I don't think they're that bothered and yeah although they don't want copies of the singles and the albums when they come out that's nice. I know there's um, various people who are around the world in the band um, who I mentioned earlier, the Hangman's Beautiful Daughters, and one's in Las Vegas, and she was very excited to get her vinyl copy, and, you know, because <laughs> she'd played on it. I mean, did you have a moment, it was 85, when you sat down and said, look, this isn't going any further, and just kind of all go your separate ways? Well, I had a moment, all right, but what happened was that... Uh, uh, well, we split up after Christine and I broke up. She moved to Leicester from Glasgow, and that, you know, that was hard for a while. Uh, that kind of broke me for a while but at that point in time. But my, my friendship with Tommy was really strong and, and got me through it. Me and Tommy shared 
Tommy from the Bachelor Pad, that is Tommy Cherry. We shared loads of influences, and Tommy's just about, you know, he's the most likable guy you're ever going to come across, I think. So it was kind of natural and inevitable that we, we ended up forming a band. But you know, the reason that the Cherub split was just basically because we, Christine and me split up. And yes. I didn't think, I didn't think I'm going to bring in another bass player to take a place because it was just, it was too raw at the time. So uh, I wanted to go in a, again in a completely different direction. Sure, that's fair enough. And um, just lastly, what would you say to yourself, you know, an 18-year-old self who was starting out playing music? Because mm. obviously you've, you've had, you know, decades of doing, you know, bits and pieces and having this experience as well. I just wondered what your words of kind of wisdom would be. To myself. Yeah, to, an, to somebody starting out and thinking, yeah, I might, I might sort of do a bit of music. It could be fun. I just, I wondered if there was a couple of things you thought, oh yeah, that would have been a, a good idea to have. Yeah, it would have been good to have thought about that at the time, or someone, if someone had even whispered it, even if you. Uh, yeah, just just to listen more to other people and not to not to believe that your 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 thoughts and your direction is the only one that counts because. You know, you could you could be missing a lot and passing by some valuable and wonderful stuff at the same time, and just be nice to people. You know, be be chill and be cool with people, and uh, they'll they'll be the same way back to you most of the time. Uh, but yeah, basically that. Yes. And ha- are you still? I kind of noticed, you know, pictures of guitars. Are you still sort of strumming away? Yeah. Well. I mentioned that before the Cherubs formed, I'd been in a band called Radio Ghosts. Uh, and we've kind of, <laughs> we've kind of uh, rematerialized and uh, we are still making music just now. We put a single out called, not a single, a CD. A CD like, yes. We put a CD out called uh, Boo. Uh, and uh, it's great to get back together with those guys as well. Um, but yeah, I play guitar all the time. Never stop. It's, uh, it's, it's the... It's the it's my it's my escape. You need you need something in this day and age. But look, well yeah, look, but I'm really pleased that it's still going well. And uh, yes, the bachelor pad, Tommy, they mm. they are so legends. So are you still in touch with Tommy? Yes, yeah, I'm still in touch with Tommy. Um, he's again he lives in Glasgow and I live in the, the east side of the country. But yes, yeah, still in touch, and he's. Uh, He's still the same lovable Tommy that he always was. You know, the bachelor pad were the bachelor pad were they were a wonderful band. They were kind of um, gloriously self-indulgent, and you know, at times quite mad. And I'm sure many people that listened to the bachelor pad at the time thought, "Ah, these guys are playing at it." But but there was genuine madness there. There really was. We tried everything and everything we did try. We took it to the furthest extreme. But there's some fantastic creativity amongst all the madness. Some of the Bachelor Pad songs, I think, were just, you know, they were stone cold classics and they remain so today. Uh, sometimes, you know, I think if, if we'd been a bit more disciplined in, <laughs> in many ways in the studio, because the production techniques that we used were, like everything else, taken to the extreme, uh, I think the Bachelor Pad would have flourished, or at least um, gone on longer than they actually ended up doing. I think if, had a, if we had a more conventional sound and approach in the studio and allowed the songs to, to shine through for themselves, I think they'd have got wider recognition. But but again that wasn't us and you know, I don't I don't regret it for a second. But yeah, still still in touch with Tommy. Great guy. 
Excellent. My God, you appear twice then on this Scottish compilation, don't you? Because I'm sure the Bachelor Pad are definitely on it as well. Oh, yeah, get about. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, well, look, Martin, thank you ever so much. This oh, has been great. Pleasure. And when I um, put this out, I'll send you a link and then you can always put it on your um, Facebook page and various other places. But this has been fantastic. This has been oh, great. Thank you so much, David. It's been lovely to speak to you. Take care, man. Yeah, you too. Have a good, safe year. OK, take care there. See you later. See you. Bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is sadly the end of the interview. A big thank you to Martin Cotter for giving me the time for that interview. Uh, one of the members of the band, the Wee Cherubs, that were about formed in Glasgow during 1983 to about 1985. And uh, like I said at the beginning, they have got a compilation that has just come out on Optic Nerve Records, um, which is titled The Merrymakers LP, a collection of lost recordings made in Glasgow between 1982 to 85, restored, remastered, buy it, it might just change your life. It's available on vinyl as well, so, and CD, there, anyway, have a good week, stay safe, speak soon.